It's deceptions that come from the devil that feeds into our disordered desires, which is our flesh, that really is what gets us in trouble. This series that we are in, The Great Deception, uh, it, it is, that's what that is all about. And as we have learned, Jesus says that the devil is real, that his main goal is death and destruction, and his main strategy is lies and deception. And that our flesh is our desires that are disordered, meaning they get out of order. God should be our number one desire, and then when our desires get in place of where God should be, that's when trouble happens, and that's when we hurt each other, and that's when we make decisions that are wrong. And Jesus invites us to walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh, not by our disordered desires, but to walk by the Spirit. And when we choose to walk by the Spirit, in essence what we're doing is we're inviting the Spirit to go deep inside and reveal to us our disordered desires so He can bring healing where healing needs to be and He can bring clarity and maybe even show us, hey, this is out of order so that we can then take steps to get back in line. So, When we walk by the Spirit, what we are doing, in essence, is we are making sure that our desires are in the right order, that God is number one uno. So, when a bunch of people live out their disordered desires, in essence, in the same direction, then that disordered desire becomes normalized in our society, and that is our culture, and our world. I'm going to read a little something from the book Live No Lies uh, from Mark John Comer. And uh, yeah, so this, this is an example of disordered desires getting normalized in society. This took place back in the year 2000. Uh, there's a heavy metal rock band called Metallica, And they were in the studio working on a song called I Disappear for the upcoming Mission Impossible movie. They woke up one morning to find their song being played on radio stations across the country. Those of you who were an adult back in 2000, you might probably remember this. Um, Here's the thing. They hadn't released it yet. It wasn't even mixed. Somebody stole it and released it unfinished into the digital ether. They traced the theft back to a then-fledgling file-sharing program called Napster, where they found not only the song I Disappear, but their entire catalog of music available for download for free. Thus began one of the most infamous street fights in music history. Metallica filed a lawsuit for copyright infringement and racketeering for the not-so-small sum of $10 million dollars. They won in the U.S. District Court, but lost in the court of public opinion. Metallic fans, many turned ex-fans, the media, music critics, and others all lambasted them as greedy thugs. The controversy spawned one of the first ever viral videos, a cartoon parody of Metallica as former heavyweight metal kids who sold out for the gold Lamborghinis. Napster's basic case was this, Metallica is rich filthy rich. We're poor college kids. We don't have any money to buy their record. What's the big deal about skimming a little off the top? 
Vitalik's response was simple. It doesn't matter if you steal from the rich or the poor. Stealing is illegal and wrong. Plus, we want to keep control of our art. A desire by a bunch of college kids to have access to free music because they're poor and they can't afford to buy the albums was the impetus behind creating a program called Napster where one person could take a song and upload it into this program or they could take a whole album and upload it to this program and then anybody else who gained access to that program could download it for free. And the debate has been going on long before that about sharing music. And here's an example of sharing music. This is similar to my home stereo, my personal stereo system, back a whole bunch of years ago. This thing was amazing. I just want you to know. If you can tell, it's got a turntable on top. And for those teenagers or young kids that are sitting in here, you maybe don't know what a turntable is, ask your parents. You see on the left, cassette player and a radio all in one unit. Amazing, right? Well, it gets better because... You could take an album, put it in the record player, put a cassette player or cassette tape in the player, push record, and you could record from the album onto that cassette tape. Then you could take that cassette tape and bring it to your car, put it in the cassette tape player in your car, and listen to your favorite music. I do see a bunch of you nodding out there, and you're all closer to my age. You remember those days. Now, here's the thing. You could even create a mixed tape. That means <laughs> you could take an album, because you don't like all the songs on the album, right? You could take the two or three songs that are your favorite on that album, put them on that tape, and then get another album, put two or three songs on another. It, I know it's hard to believe, but there were tapes that had, like, you could put 120 minutes of music on. Just this little tape. Sometimes you had to pick it up and flip it over and put it back in to get the other side. And then they got advanced where you didn't even have to flip it over. It would just, you know, I, I mean, you guys all remember this. The other thing you could do is, if you set it up right, you could be listening to the radio, and if... One of your favorite songs came on the radio, and you timed it right. You could put record, and you could record right off the radio. I mean, the only dilemma is you might get the DJ saying a few words, you know, in the midst of it, but it was the bomb. And then, of course, you're with your friend, and your friend has got a cassette tape of your favorite band, and you don't have that album, and so he gives you the tape, because he can just go make another one. And all of a sudden, music sharing began to happen. Well, and then, you know, it went from um, not only mixed tapes, but there was 
this other thing that was developed, and it's called a compact disc. As when music went digitized, then you could take and you buy a CD of a song, you could put it in your, you know, your desktop computer, there's a little CD drive, put it in there, download the music on your computer, then you could get a blank CD and record it on the blank CD. And again, you could make some mixed tape or a mixed CD of there, and you would pass that kind of stuff around. When I was a youth pastor, this was, you know, this was a big conversation because kids would come and they would have their CDs of albums and they would be sharing them and giving them back and forth. Is this right or is this wrong? I mean, you know, then we began to rationalize, well, as long as you're not selling it, it's okay. But at the same time, you were taking away revenue from the artist. And for some of you that are artists in this room, you're going, yeah, right? You're, you're taking away revenue. And for others, you're just going, well, what's the big deal? But here's another example of a disordered desire. I, I want this music. There's not some bad with the, with the music, but I can't afford the music or I can get it free. And so all of a sudden it becomes normal in a, in a culture to take whatever music and make copies and hand it out. Thus, we get to Napster and file sharing. And that kind of stuff still happens today. I mean, you don't have to have cable TV, and you don't even have to be plugged into any of the streaming services like Netflix or any of that kind of stuff. There are websites where you can go. I don't know anything about them, but one of my kids does. <laughs> and you can, sporting events, movies, uh, TV shows, any of that kind of stuff, you can get for free. The question is, is it okay or is it not okay? Is it right or wrong? Now, another example for me is Sundays and Sabbath. When I was growing up, you didn't work on Sunday. In fact, there was no gas stations open. There was no grocery stores open. I do remember when I was a little kid, my dad going to the gas station on Saturday to make sure there's enough gas in the car to get to church and to go anywhere else that they wanted to go on Sunday because nothing was open. And then 7-Eleven came along and decided to be open from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m., seven days a week. And now everything's open. It used to be that the schools wouldn't touch Wednesday night or Sunday with activities. Now, it, they're going out all the way, all the time. Now, for uh, businesses, what was their desire? We could say their desi- disordered desire was greed. They are just trying to figure out a way to make more money. And if you're open seven days a week, you're going to make more money than if you're only open six or five. So, disordered desire becomes normalized, and it becomes our culture. So, here's a question for you, and this is not rhetorical. I really am looking for a shout-out. What are some other examples in our world today of disordered desires that have become normalized in our society, either past or present? What are some examples? Anybody got any idea? 
What's that? Saturday night church. Yep. Football games. Yep. Come on. How about styles of clothing? Sure. Maybe a little more revealing than, yeah. How about things like the Holocaust? The Holocaust. How does a group of people convince a larger group of people that another group of people are bad, are evil, thus enabling the killing of 11 million people? They convinced these, these people who desired for power, desired to be in charge, were able to convince a bunch of people that Jewish people were evil. And a disordered desire became normalized in that culture, enabling 11 million Jews to be killed. What about abortion? What's the disordered desire there? Inconvenience. What about sexuality? What about slavery? What about what? Pronouns. Yes. The, the list can go on and on and on of how a disordered desire eventually becomes normalized and then in the culture, in the world, it becomes the way life is. So this morning we're going to look at the world and what Jesus has to say about the world. Probably one of the most famous words about Jesus concerning the world is found in Luke. Okay, I gotta get to the right slide. Sorry about that. What is good? What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? This is a great warning. It's something we all need to be thinking about. So what happens if I gain the whole world and the very essence of who I am is forfeited? And I think it wouldn't take too long for you and I to think of somebody that we know, maybe personally or maybe not personally, that has spent their whole life striving for something that the world says it is worth striving for and then is really losing themselves. A name that comes to my mind right away is Steve Jobs of Apple. Steve Jobs died not too long ago of cancer, and right before his death, as he was reflecting on his life, he, he said in, in so many words, he said, I have reached the pinnacle of business. I'm at the top. And yet, I have lost all my relationships. And I would say he lost 
his relationship to himself. He lost self. Jesus says a lot more about the world, and before we get into that, um, in the New Testament, the Greek word for world is cosmos, and it's where we get our word cosmos, and there are three different meanings in the New Testament for cosmos. The first one is a planet or the universe. It's God's creation, so it's, it's Romans one twenty, where Paul says, since the creation of the world... And there he's talking about since the creation of the planet, the universe. So you got that aspect of cosmos. And then you have humanity, which is people. Um, John 3.16, God so loved the world. And yes, he loves his creation. But there Paul, or Jesus is talking about um, that God so loved uh, the world as in all of humanity. It's about all the people that God created. The third definition is what we are focusing on is this, the system of practices and standards associated with secular society. And so the verses that we are going to look at today are that, the system and practices and standards associated with secular society. Let's look at John 15, 18 through 20. If the world hates you, Keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you. Sorry, I'm forgetting to move along here. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teachings, they will obey yours also. Here Jesus says that the world is going to treat us exactly the way he was treated. Jesus came to upset the world's systems. And for Jesus, the main system that needed to be upset was the religious system. You've got to remember that Moses gave the Ten Commandments, and then out of the Ten Commandments came 613 commands which became over thousands of rules that different rabbis put into place as they were trying to interpret the commands that were given by Moses. So the disordered desire for these rabbis and these religious leaders was control and power over the people. The more rules you have, the more power you have. Jesus came in and destroyed the religious system. And the world, the religious system, hated him and crucified him. It was Jesus' own people, the Jewish people, that crucified him. You and I will be treated the same way. When we try to destroy the world systems or come against the world system, uh, the disordered desires of our world today that have been normalized, the world's going to push back. And in my opinion, I think the greatest threat for us is not the world out there, the world of unsaved or unchurched people. I mean, yes, there's persecution and there's bad stuff that happens. But I, I would say that the greatest threat for us when we choose to live fully into who Jesus is, is the people in the church. Because there's many areas within the church today 
that the world has entered in. What has become normalized out there has become normalized in here. And there's nothing worse than talking to some Christians who have some firm beliefs and you speak against those firm beliefs or what, what they think are, 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 are nothing more than what has been normalized in the world out there. Jesus saw the world as being under the rule of the devil and not God, as we see in John chapter 12, verse 31. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. In the story of the Bible, this happens from the very beginning when Adam and Eve are deceived by the serpent. Adam and Eve were uh, to rule over the earth. They gave it up when they were deceived. And this is why the devil tempted Jesus in the wilderness. He was trying to uh, get Jesus to bow down. And this is why the devil was able to say, I will offer you the world because the devil has rule over the world today. But the good news is that Jesus came and he died on the cross and all authority and power have been given to him and Jesus came to judge the world. The world out there has been judged. Here's the cool thing. We don't need to judge the world out there. In fact, we're told don't judge the world out there. Because they don't know. So what that means is we get to love the world out there. Think about that. The two main commands, love God and love others. And when they're asked who, you know, who's, who's the neighbor, Jesus' definition of neighbor by the parable he told was somebody, it was a Samaritan, was somebody not like him. We are called to go into the world. So maybe we should spend less time judging the world out there and more time loving them. So what do we know so far? We know that um, you can gain the world, but then you'll lose yourself. We know that the world hated Jesus, and it will hate you. And Jesus came and judged the world. So what does that mean for you and I today? Jesus has this prayer in John 17. This is his prayer before he is betrayed and before he is persecuted and crucified. And this is his prayer. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they, and he's talking about us, may have the full measure of joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you send me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Notice a couple of things here 
Jesus' prayer, we are not of this world. And this is the thing that's so important for us to understand. We have to understand, we're not of this world. Our goal isn't to be like the world out there. Our goal isn't to fit in. We're not of this world. We are of the kingdom of God. Now, there's nothing wrong with being... We're, we're, um, we're, we're a part of this world, and there's nothing wrong with the enjoying the things, uh, some of the things of the world, but we have to be careful so that we're not enjoying them and they get disordered desires. We get things out of whack. So we are not of this world. The second thing that we get from this prayer is that Jesus prays for protection from the evil one. Notice that he doesn't pray for protection for us from the world. It's from the evil one. The evil one is our enemy. The devil is our enemy. And as Paul says, our battle's not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and the rulers of this air, world, or the, the devil. Our real enemy is the devil. And Jesus prays for protection. The other thing we learn from this is that we become set apart by the truth. The word sanctification means to be set apart. And when I live by the truth or live by the Spirit and not the flesh, I become sanctified or I become set apart. I become one who is not of the world, but, but who is in the world, but not of the world. I'm here, I'm in it, but I'm not of the world. I'm separate. I'm going through my daily life and I'm not, I'm not of it, but I'm in it. And that happens as I'm sanctified, and that sanctification happens as I live by the Spirit, as I focus on the truth, the Word of God. Jesus wants us in this world so that we can bring His truth into the world. And yet, we have to be sanctified. We do have to be set apart. The Apostle John has some words about the world in 1 John chapter 2, he says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. That's pretty harsh. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives for everything. Everything from the world does not come, comes not from the Father. It's from our disordered desires. It's from the deception of the evil one. And the world and its desires will pass away. So if I put all my energy into being, fitting into the world, in the end, it's gone. It passes away. And the thing is, the truth of God never passes so it's important for us to remember that what is true, the truth of God, remains forever. As we wrap up this morning, just want to remind us what we talked about. What do we know? We can, if we gain the world, we'll lose ourselves, and that's not good. The world hated Jesus, it will hate you. Jesus came and judged the world, so in essence, we, we don't need to judge. What did we learn from Jesus' prayer? We are not of this world, 
He's praying for protection from the evil one, not the world. And we can become set apart by diving into his truth. And there's one more thing that we need to know when we talk about the world. And that is Jesus' words in Mark 16. Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. There it is. This is Mark's version of the great commission. We are to go into the world to preach the gospel. That's why we live in this world. That is the truth. We are to live in this world to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. We have the good news. Hey, world out there, all these disordered desires that are messing you up, that are creating all this mental health issues and all the depression, all, the, all that stuff. We have the answer, and the answer is Jesus. Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins. He rose again so that we could spend eternity with Him. That is the truth. We have the truth. We are not to hide from the world. We are not to judge the world. We are to be like Jesus and love the world. And the way we show love to the world is by demonstrating His love and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. Let's pray. Mm. Thank you, Jesus, for... Um, die on the cross for our sins. Thank you for rising again. Thank you that um, you are the truth and that we don't have to get bogged down by the things of the world. I pray for each one of us as we um, invite you and your truth into our lives. I pray that you would reveal the areas of our lives that have become out of order for us. And that you give us the courage to step into that, to let go of that disorder and trust you. Because you, Jesus, have come to give life and give it to the full. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.